Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. State prison officials are grappling with the surge in COVID cases in their facilities as the Omicron variant spreads. KQED's Aditi Bundamudi reports. Officials from the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation have found about 3,000 incarcerated people and nearly 4,000 employees have been infected. So, for the next two weeks, they've limited movement of staff and inmates between facilities and have suspended in-person and family visiting until further notice. Statewide, about 80% of inmates and 69% of staff have been fully vaccinated. Last year, a federal judge ordered a vaccine mandate for all prison employees, but Governor Gavin Newsom appealed it, and that hearing is scheduled for March. For the California Report, I'm Aditi Bandlamudi. Health officials in Fresno County are changing the way medical personnel respond to 911 calls. In an effort to ease the strain on hospitals during the surge of the Omicron variant, the county is now using what's called an assess and refer policy when it comes to emergency calls. Dan Lynch, Emergency Medical Services Director for the county, explains. Ambulance providers now are being directed to respond to calls, and if the patient meets criteria, that means that they're a non-emergent patient, they have a non-emergent type of medical condition, that we will refer them to a private physician, to a clinic, urgent care, or to telehealth service instead of their emergency department. This type of policy has been used by other counties during the worst surges of COVID cases during the pandemic. Lynch says this should help reduce daily calls to hospitals for service by 15 to 20 percent. Fresno County currently has more than 350 patients in hospital emergency rooms, which is about the same total the county saw during the peak of the Delta variant surge last year. Yesterday, we told you about the massive blood supply shortage across the country and here in California, and it's already having real-world effects in places like Los Angeles County. The LA Times reports the trauma center at Harbor UCLA Medical Center was closed to new patients for more than two hours on Monday because of inadequate blood supplies. It's the first time the county's had to take this type of action in more than 30 years. The hospital was able to reopen, but only after reaching out to other medical facilities for blood. Alpine County in the Sierra foothills has declared a local health emergency and closed schools this week because of a rise in COVID-19 cases. The state's least populous county with about 1,200 residents closed schools on Monday after performing contact tracing and finding that more than 40% of students and staff had been exposed to the virus. They hope to return to in-person learning early next week. The county's health officer says its supply of testing kits is basically exhausted, and he's not sure when that problem will be fixed. 
Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Following new rules from the Biden administration, starting this weekend, the cost of at-home COVID-19 tests will be covered for people who have private insurance or are in a group health plan. That means if you have this kind of coverage and you go online or into a drugstore to purchase a test, the cost should be covered upfront or via reimbursement. A box of two rapid tests averages around 25 bucks, so this could mean big savings. We wanted to better understand how the rollout of this new support is going to work, so we called up Krutika Amin, a Kaiser Family Foundation expert on the Affordable Care Act. She started by giving us some background on this coverage shift. So early in the COVID-19 pandemic, Congress had required that public and private insurers cover the full cost of COVID-19 tests without requiring any out-of-pocket cost sharing. And so this was for COVID-19 tests that people could get at local pop-up sites or at doctor's offices or through hospitals. There was no such requirement for insurers to cover rapid COVID-19 tests that people can get at pharmacies and other retailers and get COVID tested at home. Starting January 15th, the Biden administration is requiring insurers to cover the cost of rapid at-home tests that people can buy through pharmacies and other retailers. So insurers will be required to cover up to eight rapid tests per person enrolled in the plan per month. And so people will have to submit receipts to their insurance company and then get reimbursed for the receipts for the most part. And was I accurate in my introduction? Will it be as as simple as just going online or going into your corner pharmacy? Right. So that's a big question. There have been a lot of pharmacies and retailers have been running out of these COVID tests. And so this policy will sort of also depend on people's ability to be able to snag these tests. Do you think that this will just exacerbate the supply issue? Just having rapid home tests paid for by insurance companies um, will just make an already bad situation in a lot of places worse? 
So the Biden administration has also said that they'll make 500 million rapid tests available. We don't have all the details for that yet, how they're going to be getting those out to people. I should also say that this requirement for covering rapid tests is only of private insurers. So people who might have public health insurance, Medicaid or Medicare, the rapid tests for them may not be covered. Though the administration has also said that they'll make efforts for uninsured people and other groups to get rapid tests available to people for free through community centers and health clinics. And are there any situations in this where the the full coverage of the rapid home test wouldn't be covered by an insurance plan? The administration is strongly incentivizing health plans to curb instances where there might be price gouging. So they're incentivizing health plans and insurers to set up networks of convenient locations or retailers through which people can get the test, but then they don't have to pay anything directly out of pocket. So in those cases, if your insurance company has set up something like that, then you would be able to go get a COVID rapid test, but then you wouldn't have to submit a receipt after the fact. And so in those direct purchase cases, if the insurance company is, let's say, paying $15 for the COVID tests directly, if you go outside of their direct purchase or preferred purchaser, then the insurance company may only reimburse up to the $15. And do you think this could help alleviate the pressures that we've heard about on a lot of community testing centers? For instance, I was at this testing center in East LA the other day. I mean, there must have been a line of 70 to 80 people there. Do you think it'll help situations like that? Right. With the more infectious Omicron variant, people being able to test in the comfort of their own homes will be helpful to, one, like you're saying, alleviate pressures on these community sites, but then also get people to find out their COVID infection status sooner so that they can take the steps to protect themselves and their communities. All right. That is Kritika Amin. She's the Associate Director for the Kaiser Family Foundation's Affordable Care Act program. Thank you so much for joining us on the California Report. Thanks for having me. A state bill that would limit so-called Ellis Act evictions will move forward in the legislature after it passed out of an assembly committee yesterday. KQED's Kate Wolf has the story. The Ellis Act is a state law that allows property owners to evict tenants if they want to take their buildings off the rental market. But housing advocates say the law has been abused by investors who buy rent-controlled units. They estimate it's displaced thousands of residents from affordable housing. A new bill would require people who purchase a building to wait at least five years before invoking the Ellis Act. Assemblymember Alex Lee authored the bill. Too often, many tenants in rent-stabilized units live in constant fear that their building will be sold to the highest bidder and be subject to an eviction shortly after. Representatives from the California Apartment Association and California Association of Realtors are opposing the bill and say it unfairly limits what landlords can do with their property. For the California Report, I'm Kate Wolf. And that is the California Report for Thursday, January 13th. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening and have a good day. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash Adapting Care. Eric and Wendy Schmidt whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together, on the web at schmidtfutures.com. And Paint Care, 
Now with 800 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. Thanks.